the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. You can find out more about me, our team of certified financial planner practitioners at EP Wealth, and all of our services there as well. So check it out, chad at chadburton.com. Let's do a quick market update. It's, it's crazy to think that we're already, you know, halfway through this year, almost done with the second quarter. Ends in eight days. So where are we market-wise? Well, first, let's take a look at the S&P 500. That is a market cap weighted index, 500 of the largest companies in America. But it's not an equal amount of 500 companies. It's weighted. So you're essentially most of your price movement comes from 50 companies or so. But the S&P 500 is up total return 13.42% so far for the year. Amazing. That's a full year's worth of return or more in less than seven months. And uh, one of the ways that I like to invest for people that are at or near retirement is the dividend achiever style of investing where you're investing in companies that have a history of increasing their dividends. Because that way, if uh, you're living off of cash, your dividends from the companies that you own, your interest from the bonds that you own, your real estate, even when the market declines in value, your income can tend to go up. And this is one of the first years in several where the, the, I look at VIG, for example. It's something I own. A lot of my clients own it. Vanguard Dividend Achiever Index is up 11.64% for the year. So slightly lagging the S&P 500. Um, but it's been a big winner, for even versus the S&P over the last you know, five and seven years. And if we break down the S&P 500, which has become more of a large cap growth index because of the Amazons, the Microsofts of the world have gotten so large. And that's where a lot of the money is in the S&P 500. If we break it down, there's so many different ways to do this. There is momentum-based value ETFs and, and, and momentum-based growth ETFs. But one of the things I always look at is Vanguard's mega cap value ETF, MGV. We have seen an outperformance of value this year, up 14.82% versus Vanguard growth ETF, uh, VUG, up 10.69%. So pretty decent outperformance by value this year because you're going to get that financial exposure. You're going to get that energy exposure. Everybody thought oil was dead. If we take a look at the small and mid-cap area, and I don't really like this index that much because 33% of the companies or so don't, really don't make money. There's a lot of biotech, you know, newer companies in it. So it's not proven investments yet. But it is 
a widely known index. It's the Russell 2000 ETF. And if I look at the total return of that, that's 16% for the year. So small cap finally outperforming large cap, value outperforming growth. If I look into the Russell, which is small and mid cap, if I look at really small cap, if I look at iShares S&P 500 small cap 600 growth ETF, up 14.12%. But if you look at the value ETF, the small iShares small cap 600 value ETF, up 29.81%. So if anybody was listening to me last year during the giant correction that we had in March and April, and I told you specifically small and mid-cap value had fallen way, way, way too much. Hopefully you got into that and did some rebalancing into small and mid-cap value especially. We've got some positions that are up nearly 80% since that point in time. So um, we've, we've actually started looking at our small cap exposure that we did a little bit of overweight in and then we're looking at trimming where we can tax efficiently because it's gone so far so fast. An area that hasn't gone so far so fast but has a lot of value is if we look at iShares Emerging Market ETF, EEM. And I will tell you, I like actively managed funds in emerging markets more than indexes, but that index as a barometer is at 5.16% for the year. And uh, international developed. This is an interesting one because most people did not call the outperformance of international developed companies like Europe, or not companies, but countries like Europe and Germany, larger developed countries outside of the US, up 10.52%. So almost double emerging markets. And that's that's not a call that most people made. I, I didn't make the call. I would have figured so far we'd get some outperformance from emerging markets. Um, but that has not been the case. The reopening has done a little bit better than expected in, in some of those areas. And many emerging markets like India um, really having trouble with COVID. Brazil having trouble, massive trouble with COVID. Um. Okay, so we look outside of traditional stocks here. Let's look at real estate. One of the iShares US real estate ETF, IYR, up 22% from the year. That's a reopening play because I got hammered last year. If we look at bonds, this is what I've been talking a lot about recently because uh, managing money and at EP Wealth, we manage over $12 billion. And I think fixed income is one of the most difficult areas right now because... If we look at the U.S. aggregate bond index, it's down 1.95%. That's the total return. So that's including nearly a half year's worth of dividends, or not, not dividends, interest, right, from the bonds being held inside of it. And we've got basically interest rates that kind of pulled back, which is just silly to me because we, we see the signs of inflation. We see this huge round of stimulus, which I'll talk about later, which provided PPP loans to a lot of businesses that really didn't end up needing. So a lot of that money is just spending on growth and goods and, and stimulating the economy at a really high level. Like I, I would love to see an infrastructure package, but it has to be very targeted because too much will cause too much inflation. I'm not quite buying this transitory inflation yet. We've got to really get through another six months before we can do proper comparables and see what the labor market's truly going to do, see if the supply chain gets fixed. But we have a lot of bond funds out there yielding, you know, say two, two and a half percent range and duration over six. 
So duration is a bond fund sensitivity to interest rate increases. So if you have a bond fund that has a duration of six, if the 10-year treasury goes from 1.5 to 2.5%, you could see that the net asset value of that bond fund fall by 6%. And we saw a bit of that. If you look back to March when interest rates spiked, the egg was down nearly four, four and a half percent or so. And that's so, you know, it's, it's fine. But the problem is, is that if you, if you have a bond and you buy an individual bond on paper, on your statement, you'll see that bond fund, that bond value decline. If you're to try to go out and sell it in the open market, people aren't going to pay as much if interest rates go up. But if you hold it to maturity and the company or the institution is still around, you'll get your money back. The problem in large, well-known bond funds, a lot of which are in the 401k, if interest rates start to increase rapidly, people see that in their 401k and they see a loss on a fund that rarely has a loss. And so they start selling, forcing the bond manager to sell bonds at horrible prices. So good bond managers you know, have cash on hand to meet redemptions. They kind of forecast what redemptions might be. They shorten their duration and things like that. So I like active management in bonds right now. I don't like indexes in bonds very much. Now that's it's not saying that we don't own some bond indexes, but if you're going forward, be very careful in that. Also look at stable value funds in the 401k as a bond alternative. Uh, that That is an interesting play for people that are either close to retirement, they need to find their three years worth of portfolio draws and cash that I talk about all the time. Stable value is a good choice in a 401k to do that. Bitcoin hit under $30,000 today at, some, at one point in trading. It's a 50% decline from the April highs. 50% decline. And it's like you see these waves of all of a sudden you see all of these people that you know on social media posting how great Dogecoin is and Bitcoin and, and getting in. And then you get these wild declines. And I, this is what I hate about this pump and dump stuff that happens on social media with getting people into investing. Cryptocurrency is useful. It's a store of value. It's different than investing. Next segment, I'll try to catch up on a couple of emails from listeners. Appreciate your support. If you uh, want to download the podcast, it's, it's everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher, check it out. You can go to chadburton.com towards the bottom of the page. You can see all the platforms. And uh, just go to Chad Burton Podcast on Facebook. Let me know you're listening. Shoot a like over there if you could. So Bitcoin at one point uh, traded under 30,000. I haven't checked in the last few minutes or so, but... 50% decline from the recent highs not too long ago. So what a wild ride. In mid-April, it was up nearly 120% for the year. It's still up 7.9% for the year, but there's China is doing a crackdown on all cryptocurrency. Um, they're not a fan of it. So there's a regulation situation that needs to happen. And I think a, an example of that is just the way that Elon Musk talked about Dogecoin. Dogecoin to me, I mean, it was, it was created as a joke, right? The dog that's on it is a, it's a meme. And there's an there's, there's unlimited supply of Dogecoin. I mean, it can continually be created. At least Bitcoin, there's a limited amount that will ever be created. But the idea of it that um, you have a currency that is not a fiat currency backed by a government that has, you know, that, that argument to me is a, a little bit silly because if you want some sort of a currency that's backed by something, would you rather have the US government or would you rather have it based on technology um, and it's a system of what other people are willing to pay for it? And if you have a situation where the US government collapses, do you think the internet's going to be working very well? <laughs> so it's, that, not me. I, I'm not going to buy crypto for the, uh, for the apocalypse. I'm buying bullets and gasoline. 
and uh, I'm going to run around on my side by side and I have plenty of bullets and if, and shotguns probably the best for zombies, wouldn't you say? So we, I don't I don't like that argument either. I love blockchain. I love the idea of how it works. I think we should all vote via blockchain. Um, and there's a lot of great uses of this stuff. Like Ethereum is an open end source blockchain platform used to create and share business, financial service, and entertainment applications. And Ethereum users pay fees to use dApps. These are called gas because they vary depending on the amount of computational power required. I mean, th- there's a whole system being created, especially overseas, more on Ethereum than Bitcoin. Um, and it's almost like you got to own a little bit of all of these so you can understand what they do. And do I buy them for clients in our investment accounts? I don't. Do I tell people how to get them if they want it? And if, if they want to have some speculation and put 1-3% of their portfolio um, instead of something like gold? Yeah, I do. So uh, you got you to understand. For example, Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Um, I mean, you can easily read these things. If you look at Ether, ETH, the cryptocurrency of Ethereum network is arguably the second most popular digital token after Bitcoin. And it's the, I think, still the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap. Um, They're similar in many ways. Each is a digital currency traded with online exchanges and stored in cryptocurrency wallets. Uh, both are decentralized, meaning they're not issued or regulated by a central bank or authority. That's what people like about it. And it makes a lot of sense. If you can imagine if you have some money, you're in Venezuela, you're in China. Well, maybe not anymore, but other countries where you just don't trust the government and the the currency is declining, there's massive inflation, and you want to get your money out without having to go into the US, uh, open an account, buy treasuries, for example, that paid next to nothing. Oh, I'm going to store my money in cur- cryptocurrency. And so that it, it, there's a lot of uses for it, but there's a lot of regulation coming down the line on it. The technology is great. I mean, if you look at, uh, I think it's Walmart that uses a form of blockchain to track produce so that if something happens on the produce where you know, somebody gets sick, they can easily track down where it came from, right? So there's, there's a lot of uses of blockchain technology. But if you take cryptocurrency, you take everything you don't know about computers, everything you don't know about currency, and everything you don't know about math and put it all together, that's cryptocurrency. <laughs> so I, I, I like it in the sense that it's very interesting. It's very useful. But as an investment advisor, where I can look at a company and say, gosh, that company has growing revenue. It's controlling its expenses. Here's how much profit it is. I can invest in that company. I can receive dividends and growth in the share price. Cryptocurrency is a store of value. And for it to continue to go up, there always has to be another you willing to pay more for it. And I just don't think people understand that when they're getting into it. And I hate the pump and dump strategies I see on social media. To me, that needs to be regulated. When people... And there's people that have made millions and billions off crypto so far. But it takes, you know, you get in first and you have a bunch of other people pile in and then you get out. And when you get in first and have other people pile in underneath you, what's that sound like? Have you ever seen that? Uh, oh, man. Um, I'm going to space what it is. So it, it, to me, sometimes it just feels very pyramid schemey like when I see stuff on social media about crypto. and Right near the highs, right when Elon Musk was talking about Dogecoin and 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 Tesla started taking Bitcoin, 
uh, that's when I started to see so many people saying, thank you to so-and-so for getting me into um, Dogecoin and crypto and it's going to the moon. And well, you know, all of a sudden you find out that Tesla sold a big chunk of it and that's what was responsible for a lot of its free cash flow in the recent quarter. And you're like, oh, I invested and bought Elon Musk a rocket. And that's what it felt like. I don't think people like that should be allowed to make price movements. For example, if I talk about a stock I like on radio, I cannot trade in that stock for three days. I can't touch it one way or the other. I can't buy it. I can't sell it. Those are rules that I have to live by based on the SEC. So why should Elon Musk or somebody else if they want a directional situation, talk positively about something and be allowed to do something opposite. You see what I'm getting at? There, there needs to be some more regulation and, and some understanding here. So how do you buy it? Because I don't hate it. I own some of different coins myself. Um, but to me, it's a very speculative part of my portfolio. It's kind of like, well, I'll just do it, see what happens, know how it works. So how do you buy it? There are ETFs that kind of track it, but the fees are really high. So the easiest place to buy it is a Coinbase account. Coinbase went public as a result of it, but I don't want to invest in it because look, you got PayPal now offering the ability to buy cryptocurrency. You got Robinhood being able to do it. There's certain ETFs that has have exposure to it. So if you even Google ETFs and mutual funds that have exposure to cryptocurrency, you're going to find BLOK, ARKK. It's hard to see what they own in Bitcoin right now. Um, and then there's people that do go on and trade it quite a bit using charts and they're going back and forth with cryptocurrencies, day trading, like they do with stocks. And then there's even crypto lending where you can actually buy, get your cryptocurrency deposited in a certain digital wallet and it gets lent out and people are getting, you know, four to 7% income on it. But there's a lot of volatility there. So there's a lot of interesting things going on and it's absolutely here to stay. And I don't have any problem with people saying, oh, I'm going to take 1% to 3% of my portfolio that I would typically do in something like gold and, and do something like crypto. Um, it's just, it, you got to realize we're still in the wild, wild west. And it's too volatile, too volatile to say, yeah, it's always going to be used. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all free pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Need some help with your retirement plan, investment management, state planning, taxes. Do it all. Check it out. Chadburton.com. A team of CFAs helping with the portfolios. People, gosh, a team of over 50 certified financial planner practitioners. Offices all over the Bay Area and also in, let's see now, Chicago, Idaho, Utah, Denver, lots of places. So don't be shy even if you're listening to the podcast out of state. We have clients pretty much in every state at this point. Now, I want to get to some listener emails that I'm a bit behind on at a crazy week or so. Um, my second child graduated from high school and then the following week took off for three days to Oahu so we could check out everything where he's going to school at University of Hawaii. So real sad about it that I'm going to have to visit him all the time and surf in Oahu. So we <laughs> surfed, hiked, kayaked for three days straight after checking everything out, came home. Midnight on Saturday was woken up at it was 6.30 in the morning. First time I was able to sleep past like 4.30 in the morning. 
come on, we're going to go. We got breakfast plans. We have to get out of here. And we're going to breakfast an hour away. An hour later, we pull into a skydiving place. And then I got to go skydiving with my 72-year-old mom, which she we went skydiving for her 65th birthday, and my 18-year-old son. So that's what I got to do on Father's Day. So it was a wild ride for that last four days of the week, for sure. So ocean surfing, climbing rocks in Hawaii, and straight to an airplane. I'm a little bit tired and still kind of overburnt on adrenaline. But uh, here we are. I don't know how I got so sidetracked. Part of it is one of the emails I got was from a listener that inherited 300 grand um, and early in her dental career and is working for somebody but starting to plan and build her own practice. And so she's got this inheritance, but she also has $200,000 of student loan debt. Now, first instinct typically is to tell people, I hate anything but your mortgage debt and debt on your rental properties. I just hate debt. I saw so many people get burned and ruined in 08 and 09 by even being over leveraged. I just don't like debt. Um, so the first instinct is typically, well, you got all this cash, pay off the student loans. But that seems a little risky right now because when you have a situation where you've got all of these students riddled in debt and you've got a, an administration that is talking more and more about the issue, what if some of this stuff is forgiven and you've already paid it off? So if the interest rate is super low and in, your, in this case, it could be tax deductible based on our income, we might hold off on that one and stay pretty conservatively positioned so we can pay off what maybe doesn't get forgiven. And you're not going to wait too long on it because it's a cashless situation. So I would be careful on drastically paying off student loan debt until we know, you know, we get into this next year of this administration, see what they're going to do about it. Um, so that's, that's one issue. Be careful on the student debt payoff. And that's, that's also a reason why people, before they help their kids with college and ruin their retirement, don't be afraid to have your kids take some loans, especially the subsidized loans where the interest is paid by the government or your kids in school. You can always help them pay it off later. But that's a great loan to take. All right, here's another one. And this is from Kay. Chad, enjoy your incredible knowledge on the radio programs and those with Rob. So I obviously, Rob Black and I do a lot of radio together. Um, more coming up in the next year or so. We'll get back to doing that with him more often. Um, does EP Wealth have a program for managing an aged parent's finances, in particular one that is now in assisted living? I need to make the resources last as long as possible. And in California, that's a humongous task. I think Rob went through something similar with his mom, but I think the East Coast, if I'm not mistaken, uh, my big fear is having to use my own resources. This is a, a really interesting email. And we get it from a lot of different ways. First of all, there's kind of the helping manage manage the parents' assets when they're incapacitated. That's why every person needs, in, in California, if you have assets, having a trust, so you can name a successor trustee when you're incapacitated, but also having a power of attorney. Because when you have a living trust, that does nothing for your IRA accounts, for example. Because in IRA accounts are in your name only. It can't be held by your living trust. So you still have to have a power of attorney. And typically, a person will name their spouse and then name their kid that they trust the most that's the closest you know, in vicinity to help them manage the finances. They don't have a kid that can do it. They name a friend or a professional fiduciary. 
So that's key for you baby boomers or, or people in the sandwich generation that they, they look ahead and they think, I might have to take care of mom or dad. Make sure they have a trust and make sure they have an up-to-date power of attorney. That's number one. Number two is that you're not going to have to use your own resources because if they're in assisted living and they run out of resources, it's called Medi-Cal. In most states, it's called Medicaid. But in California, for some reason, it's called Medi-Cal. And essentially what happens if you spend down your assets to poverty level, Medi-Cal kicks in. Now, you have to be in a facility that takes Medicaid. And it's kind of a touchy issue because you don't want to go in and have those facilities think that you're going to go on it real soon. You want, to, you want to say private pay, but double check that if they run out of assets, they'll take Medicaid. And um, these, you know, there's, there's issues with, well, if they have a private room versus, you know, and all of a sudden you're on Medicaid, you might have not quite as a private a room situation. There's also very specific spousal impoverishment laws when it comes to Medicaid and Medi-Cal planning, where if you have a married couple and one person goes in, the idea is that you're not going to have one person, you know, exhaust all the other person's assets and then that person is homeless and they have nothing. So when you have a situation where there's limited resources to live for the rest of your life and one of the people in a, in a married couple goes in, there are legal ways to shift income and assets to their well spouse so that the, the ill spouse can get on Medicare or Medi-Cal in California and the other spouse has assets to continue to live. It's called spousal impoverishment laws. You need an elder law attorney in order to make these things happen. So typically, if you're dealing with an aged parent and there's incapacity issues and they don't have documents like trust, power of attorneys, you typically need an elder law attorney because if they don't have those documents, you have to be appointed guardian. And that's a whole court process in its own. So it's, it's really important for those of you that think you're going to be in that sandwich generation where you're kind of taking care of college kids, but you're also starting to take care of your parents, that the parents have these documents because if they don't, and you have to go through the core process of being appointed a guardian. Number one, it's expensive. Number two, it's a lot of your time. A lot of your time. I remember when my mom, before she, uh, she, she basically left. She was working at Wells Fargo and during the Great Recession got laid off. But it was also a point in time where my grandmother went into memory care. And... It was really a full-time job, even though that my grandmother was in memory care. It was, it was a full-time job to just keep things in order, to get bills paid, to clean stuff up, to make sure that she had the prescription drugs and the personal items and everything else that she needed. It, it was a lot. And my mom eventually was able to go back to work, but it was kind of a blessing that she got laid off for a while to help my grandmother do those things because it was a lot. So. Kids deal with a lot when they're taking care of their elderly parents, even if they're in assisted living or, or nursing homes. It's, a, it's kind of a full-time job. So not only should you make sure in California you have a trust, a healthcare directive, a power of attorney, but make sure your parents have it too, because if you don't, it falls on you. Like If you don't have those documents and you die or you're incapacitated, you don't care. You don't, you're not around to deal with it. So it's almost just as important because you are around to deal with it to make sure your parents have a will, a trust, a healthcare directive, and a power of attorney. Now, I will say in Washington, trusts are not as important. You can do as much with a will and a healthcare directive and a power of attorney. Trusts are not as important. It's just it, it, the probate issue in, in Washington isn't as bad as California. 
the living trust helps you avoid massive probate costs. And the courts in California are slow. It's kind of a disaster. It takes forever, especially in light of COVID and the backlog of cases. Um, so, so for those podcast listeners out there, don't be surprised if you're in Washington and you go to the attorney and say, oh, you don't really need a living trust here. A lot of times when you do end up needing a living trust is you have a second marriage situation and you each have assets from a previous marriage that you'd like to be there to support your new spouse if you pass away, but you want to protect those assets to go to your kids and you each have separate property living trusts. And that's something that you can do. That's a whole nother issue because, you know, a lot of people end up in uh, second marriages because there's a big increase in what we call gray divorce. People that get divorced after their kids graduate from college and they go into retirement. Because you go from like working, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week to all of a sudden you're spending time with your spouse and then the kids aren't around and you're like, unfortunately, a lot of people go, well, we don't really like each other anymore. We don't have a lot in common and we like very different things. And so there's a big increase in gray divorce. And the problem with that, if you don't do some hard work to try to get through that time, that very difficult time is when you get divorced, your expenses are not cut in half. So most people in America are retiring with less than they need to make it till age 100. And then they're getting divorced and assets are being split in half, yet costs are not split in half. They're just not. It doesn't work that way. If you think about what your expenses are, maybe the only thing that's cut in half is your food costs. But if you both move into a new home, you now have two electrical bills. You have two cable bills. You have multiple Netflix <laughs> subscriptions. So if you get what I'm saying. I'd just be really careful on that one. That's a big decision to make for sure. And then finally, um, you know, getting on to that is, uh, there was another question from Richard and Cheryl. Is the services from eversafe.com appropriate for us in the future? What are your thoughts? This is a help, a way to help kids keep an eye on parents. So I, I'm hearing way too many stories about fraud and elderly. It's, it's just sad. Um, I had a client tell me a story about um, the, their mother, who is in her mid-80s, got swindled out of 10 grand because she got a call from who th- she thought was her grandchild. And they had to create a whole situation where they now have a family password so that something like that doesn't happen again. And so they're trying to find ways to, you know, keep an eye on their parents' situation. Um, One thing I always, if you're starting to handle your parents' situation, if they're becoming not quite incapacitated, they just need help managing everything. um, Check out eversafe.com. It's kind of interesting. I had some clients asking me about it. Richard and Cheryl, and um, it, it, it kind of, you can link everything in. So for example, at EP Wealth, each of our clients has a personal financial planning website where it links to all of their accounts, not, even the ones that we're not managing, 401ks, bank accounts, credit cards, mortgages. You can see everything in one place and then the values go into the financial plan and they're updated every day. This one is, is similar. It's not financial planning based. It's more just keeping an eye on everything. So if they sense that there is, why is there a large withdrawal or something's fishy going on? Why are expenses going way up this month? It will actually alert you as the child to potential issues that your parents might be dealing with. Um, so it's a good way to kind of keep an eye on everything. And I always, everybody should really have a credit lock these days. Um, so you can go to any of the major credit bureaus and lock your credit so that if somebody's trying to open an account in your name, 
um, you know, they really can't. And the, the only issue is that when you get to refinance loans and other things like that, uh, you have to unlock it for a short period of time and then get it back again. And some people have had problems getting their social security statements when their credit is locked or there's a fraud situation because the way that they use VeriSign to you know, prove who you are. Those are the only kind of drawbacks of it. But um, Eversafe.com is a way to kind of get everything digitally centralized so that you can see everything from your parents. And then without you having to be acting like a bookkeeper, it'll help alert you to potential issues. So I thought that was interesting. I haven't used it yet, but definitely look into that. Um, and then this one is from Chris, this email. I have a burning question about life insurance policy. My husband has a whole life policy he's had since 1991. He's now 61. And we had to take a loan against it several years ago. I can hear you cringe as you're reading this, LOL. <laughs> There's a cash value of a little over 11000 My question is, should we close the account? Well, okay. So if you take... First of all, you're over 59 and a half, which is good because... If you close the account and the cash plus the loan that you've gotten out of it is over and above the amount that you put into that policy, it's a taxable event. So in other words, if the loan was 20000 and the cash value is 11000 and you close it, that's essentially $31,000 that you received out of the policy. Well, if you only paid twenty grand in premiums over those years since 1991, the difference is taxable, okay? Now, if you're under 59 and a half, not only is it taxable, but it is also a penalty of 10%, just like an IRA. So you have to find out what your basis is and realize whether or not it's a taxable event. And um, if not, if he doesn't need the insurance, then yeah, maybe you close it if you don't want the payments to be going out because you're paying for it, plus you're having to pay the loan back. A lot of times the, the, the loan repayment is, is minimal because the idea is that when you die, the loan is paid off by the death benefit and your heirs get what's left over. What you have to analyze is, you know, is this thing worth it anymore? Whenever I tell somebody, whenever somebody asks me about getting rid of life insurance, to me, this is one of the most difficult questions I have to answer because I deal with wealthy people all the time. And they'll have, say, a term life insurance policy that's about to come due. Maybe they bought it 20 years ago when they needed it to protect their family. If, if they died, it, it was the idea is to replace your income. Every family that has kids needs 10 times their annual income plus 100 grand per kid for college plus enough to pay off debt if they die. And you get that in term insurance, right? You just it, 15, 20, 30 year level term insurance. You buy the term and you invest the difference. You max out your 401k as your Ross and the idea is that 20 years later, you're not gonna need it anymore because you built up your assets. But before you ever ditch the insurance that you think you might not need, especially if it's cash value insurance, because that could be rolled into something else that helps pay for long-term care. But just in general, if you're asking that question, go get a full physical. I'm not talking about your primary care doctor that they just kind of, you know, couple of tests. Yeah, you're in great shape. I'm talking about a full calcium scan, like full-on body scan to figure out if you have any calcification in your arteries, anything that could cause an issue. I recently had a friend, 50 years old, wife walks upstairs, he's collapsed over purple and has a heart attack and then went into the hospital and then also had a blood clot in his calf. And the guy looked healthy. He looked really healthy. 
worked out, ate somewhat decent, just had bad genes. And so you never know. Like if that guy, if I, if, if he had a ton of assets and I said, yeah, go ahead and get rid of that life insurance policy. And then that happens the next day or they get hit by a bus. Oh, that's why I hate that question as a financial advisor, but we have to answer it all the time. But it's also something I think you should do going into retirement because going into retirement, you're dealing with how long is my money going to last and what's left over for my kids. And before you go through a bunch of estate planning, maybe you can get an overall health assessment, a, a full-on physical that includes you know, lots of analysis of your heart, what's going on in your arteries. So you can say, okay, what am I dealing with? Longevity or not? What's going on with my body? And hopefully in retirement, you make that health one of your main focus of retirement. You used to talk about it all the time. I got to get back to it. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com. Request an appointment there. Find out about the podcast, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes. It's all there at chadburton.com. Have a great day. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.